Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how's it going today? I really couldn't be better today, Tim. We have a wonderful guest on, an old friend of ours. We bring him on. He tells some great stories. But before we get to that, Tim, spill the beans. How are you? <laughs> the beans are getting spilt. Uh, I'm doing great. It's uh, it's snowy out here. It's a snow day. But, uh, you know, I'm hanging in there. I'm not losing my mind. I'm excited. I'm excited about this conversation with Jim Harold, kind of an OG podcaster. He's got the longest running paranormal podcast out there, over 65 million podcasts downloads and counting and we were on his show before lance a couple years ago talking about the disappearance of maura murray maybe four years ago i think this was his crime show that we appeared on but now he's here on crawl space and we're talking about ghosts well you mentioned his crime show so we might as well give it a quick plug here it is jim harold's crime scene he makes a really funny comment about the mistake that he made when he originally aired that show he decided to put it behind a paywall and he kind of laughs about that and says that was a huge mistake but it is not behind the paywall any longer. So if you want to check out his true crime show, Jim Harold's Crime Scene is a pretty good listen as well. All right. So I hope you enjoy this episode and also check us out on Jim Harold's Campfire. I'm not sure when our episode is coming out, Lance, but uh, we told some spooky stories on his podcast, Campfire, and uh, that was really fun to talk about. And Tim, I can't wait to see how many subscribers we get to our subscription show as long as they know where to access it. Oh, yes. Well, Apple users can now access it right there in the app. They can access Crawlspace Premium. You get every single episode of Crawlspace ad-free. You also get early releases and our weekly bonus show, which we know you'll love. So check that out. And if you're not an Apple user, you can go to crawlspace.supportingcast.fm and sign up there. And people can check out what Jim Harold is working on by going to jimherald.com, or you can check him out on YouTube at Jim Harold. But Tim, where can people check us out on social media? People can find Crawlspace on social media at Crawlspace Podcast or Crawlspace Pod. Thanks a lot for listening, everyone. We're going to cut to commercial real quick here, and we'll be right back with Jim Harold. And a thank you to our sponsors. Back to the program. Jim Harold, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Tim Lance. So good to be here. Appreciate it very much. And uh, I've always had a soft spot for true crime as well as spooky stories. So I feel right at home. Good, good. I wasn't going to bring this up right away, but I feel like I have to because my brain is shifting gears. We just told you a couple of our spooky stories and now we've transitioned into being hosts for this. So I need to let the spooky story that I just told you sort of rinse itself out of my body. But thank you for coming on and thanks for being open to hearing our spooky stories. You must get so many of those. Oh, yeah. I do. I love it. And my favorite, and Tim kind of spoke to this, and to an extent, you too, Lance, I love talking to people who aren't, quote, true believers. Now, I'm very open and very welcoming on my show, Jim Harold's Campfire, and everybody's welcome. And I, you know, I know this phrase is overused, but I do try to create a safe place, a safe space for people to tell their stories without judgment. But I do love to hear from skeptics or kind of, you know, kind of people who are a little bit skeptical or a lot skeptical and hear their stories. I think that's that's really neat. Uh, since we're in storytelling mode, would you want me to tell you a brief true crime story that happened to me? Yeah, please. Okay. This goes into my super the supernatural too. So anyway, this is in the 90s. I was dating my wife and I lived about 2025 
minutes away from her. We, uh, I live in the Cleveland, Ohio area. So we went to a place called Cedar Point, which is a big coaster park. We were there all day, exhausted. This is about two o'clock in the morning. I drop her off at her home. And uh, she says, she lives with her parents at that time. She was in grad school. She's like, let me ask my dad uh, if you could come sleep on the couch. You're going to fall asleep. Something bad's going to happen. Why don't you stay over? And we'd only been dating a few months. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I'll just drive home. She insisted. So I did. He agreed. And I slept on the couch. Next morning, uh, we have breakfast, very nice breakfast, drive back home. And I lived like in a, uh, it's called Slavic Village. It, it's kind of a... Polish, Eastern European area, very ethnic, lots of butcher shops and stuff like that. If you can, lots of polka music, if you can <laughs> picture that. Um, so I lived in like half of an old style A-frame house. I get out of my car, I pull up, I get out of my car. The landlord's son who lived in the back half of the place is pointing at the house. I walk over, I'm like, hey, how you doing? How's it going, Dave? He's like, we got to talk. And I'm like, why? What's up? He's like, there's been a drive-by. I'm like, a drive-by? A drive-by? Where was there a drive-by? Our house. Apparently at 3 o'clock in the morning when I wasn't there, somebody came in and shot multiple rounds of 8K47 armor-piercing bullets. I have pictures. I had a new microwave, which took a direct hit. I was in my early 20s, so it was like my first appliance. It uh, got uh, knocked out. <laughs> I had an old avocado gold double-door refrigerator given to me by my uncle from like the 70s. And one bullet went through one side through a ketchup bottle and out the other side. And apparently what happened was basically a uh, the people next to us, I told my uh, then my girlfriend, then fiance, now wife, I told these these people next door aren't bad news. They're like unsupervised teenagers. And I'd lived in this kind of area and actually in a worse area growing up. So I lived in a pretty tough area growing up. So I kind of knew when there was trouble. And she's like, oh, they're just kids. They're not bothering anybody. I said, they're trouble. Well, apparently they crossed a motorcycle gang. They lived in a dark blue house. We lived in a light blue house. No, they were light blue. We were dark blue. It, one way or the other, it basically, we were... Either way, they hit the wrong house, <laughs> okay? They hit the wrong house because of the lighting. It was funny. The police came, and they said, well, what does this guy do who lives here? And it's like, uh, he's an assistant at a classical radio <laughs> music station. I... Oh, my God. <laughs> they thought it was some kind of drug kingpin. But um, And I also tell that on my campfire show because I think sometimes we're put in places for reasons, and I think I was definitely not put into that house that night for a reason. Because who knows? The rounds hit downstairs. I still have a piece of shrapnel that I recovered uh, somewhere in a box somewhere. They hit downstairs. I slept upstairs. But if I come downstairs to the kitchen because I got thirsty or something, I could be long gone, but dead 20-some years. Wow. So. And you said that this was a group that had crossed a motorcycle gang? Yeah. That's what I heard. I didn't really do an in-depth uh investigation, Lance. I, I felt uh, I got away once. I didn't want to tempt fate. It's like uh, I just tried to put that in my rear view mirror very wow, quickly. what a moment. And not to make light of it, but you would think that the drive-by wouldn't be so haphazardly planned. I mean, it's like, do I cut the yellow wire or the white wire? They both kind of look... Cut them all. And let me give it straight. Our house, it's been a while. Our house was dark blue. Their house was light blue. And it looked white. You know those orange kind of crappy street lights that some places have? It made their house look white. Ours definitely looked blue. So that's what it was. Wow. 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 And you could have been like getting some microwave 
popcorn or something or reaching for the ketchup. Yeah, and that would have been popped. Could have had your hand robocopped. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I am telling you, this is so real. I have pictures. Now, this is before digital pictures telling you how old I am, but I have pictures and I have, I have actually video and I have, I have shrapnel. I got to dig that, uh, that video out sometime and put it on YouTube. Now we spoke with a wonderful woman who wrote about three or four books on motorcycle gangs. She called them, uh, OMGs during the, uh, the interview. So if I say OMG, I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, my God. I, what is it? Original motorcycle gang, Lance? Outlaw motorcycle Outlaw. gangs. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do you, do you uh, know which OMG was in? No the- idea. <laughs> I didn't want to find out. And again, this is, you know, I'm not casting aspersions on all the motorcyclists of the world. Who knows? Maybe that, that was like a thing heard by a person, heard by a person, heard by me. So yeah. who knows how accurate that was. But apparently there had been some stolen motorcycle parts or something. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just glad they didn't kill me. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. We learned that they were no joke. I mean, I think I think like, oh, you know, the Hells Angels or, or whatever, you know, don't mess with those bikers. I thought it was like a jokey cliche at this point, but apparently not. Well, let's put it this way. I don't think it was a jokey cliche about these guys. Now, this was in the 90s, so I can only imagine it's got tougher. I wonder if the message was like, listen, you cross us and we're going to shoot up your neighbor's house. Could be. The neighbor gets it and then you get it. I never thought about it that way. How long did you stay in the home after this happened? Uh, About the two hours to get all my stuff out. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah, I never stayed another night in there. There was no way. What was weird was I had signed a lease to move to an apartment close to my wife like a week earlier. So uh, it looked a little suspicious. (laughs) <laughs> but um, the the landlord was great. He even like gave me some money for some of the appliances, and he wouldn't have had to give me a penny. So really, a, a stand up guy. Could you imagine if that was your scam though? Like I can't fulfill my lease, so I'm going to shoot up the place. That would be a pretty impressive way to get out of. A lease. Yeah, that would be original thinking. There's no question about that. I know you have more than one show. We appeared on your show Campfire to tell some spooky stories from our personal lives. That was a lot of fun. I've been listening to Campfire. And it is great hearing all kinds of spooky stories. Some of these ghost stories are like heartwarming, though. That's one thing I didn't expect. Yeah, that's the thing. I I mean, to me, when you talk about the paranormal, I think most people think like, oh, my God, it's all terrifying. And there is some terrifying stuff, but there's also heartwarming stuff. I mean, if you get a, a sign from a parent or a sibling or a friend or something who's passed on, whether that's something dramatic like a full body apparition or it's, you know, just a series of weird coincidences. I think it's great. And I think that's just as much a part about the paranormal as the spooky stuff. And we definitely cover the spooky stuff and we have the creepy stories. We recently had a story of a woman who woke up and uh, she basically found herself, uh, it was her and her husband and between them appeared to be a ghost, a, a dead person. And the dead person was saying, Oh, it's so cold. It's so cold. And turns out that it was like on a lake or something. And there had been someone of that age and description who had died in a drowning. So we have spooky, creepy stories like that. But also we have those heartwarming things. I think the paranormal to me, I think it is an extension of our everyday life. And I think that means that you're going to have some spooky crap like being shot at. (laughs) And then you're going to have some heartwarming stuff too. I think it's a continuum. But we hear about the spooky stuff 
and the scary stuff constantly because that's what sells. One thing that I really love about your show and the way you handle these topics is that it almost doesn't matter whether or not it actually happened in the way that the person is describing it so much as like if it is something where a family member has contacted them, they feel better about the situation. So if you do or don't believe in the paranormal, does it really matter as long as the person who's telling the story feels better about their place in life? I've had experience like that with past loved ones that some people might say just a series of strange coincidences where I think there's significance. I think there's something to what you're saying. I mean, everybody that comes on the show, whether it's the most terrifying or strange story or something more heartwarming like that, we try to be very accepting. And I come from a standpoint of this person's telling me what they've experienced in the way they experienced in the way they've interpreted. They're not snowing me. And honestly, and I think over time when you do this, you get kind of a BS detector. There have been a few times, but I could count on like one hand the times over the last 14 years almost, that someone has called in and is just making crap up. I don't believe that. Most of the time, people are being very honest. Now, whether what they're seeing is a ghost or whatever, I don't know. I can't verify it. But most of them come from a place of extreme, extreme, um, what's the, the word I'm looking for? Sincerity, I think. There's one case that can illustrate that if you have a few minutes for a story. This is my all-time favorite campfire story. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. And this one, I felt so strongly about this story. I traveled, I live in Ohio. I traveled up, pre-pandemic traveled up to Michigan, and we did a video with this woman who experienced this. I believe the story when she told me, she came across very sincere, but I met her in person, and I believe it even more now. But once you hear this story, you're going to think, this is from the Twilight Zone. It's called the Roadhouse Saloon. And basically, the story was uh, of a woman. um, She lived in Michigan, was visiting Wisconsin. I guess her and a bunch of friends and family went up to this camp every year in Wisconsin. So her and one of her male friends from the group went to see a band one night about an hour away at a bar. And it's a very rural area. So they stayed to the close till two o'clock, actually stayed a little later, talked to the band. Uh, Her name was T.I. Her friend's name was Bob. They're listening to this band. They go back and talk to him after they leave about like 2.30, 2.45 in the morning. Driving back, T.I. tells Bob, I got to go to the restroom. And Bob says, well, pull up a tree because there's nothing here. (laughs) Nothing's open. She says, just drive fast, drive fast. Lo and behold, there's like this bar that is like jumping, which is against like the law. But the cars are in it, lights are in it and everything. She walks in, Bob goes with her. She goes to the restroom and comes back and he gets a drink and they're sitting there talking. And Bob says, I'm really glad we're here because see that mural over there on the wall? It was like an old West mural. Uh, I've heard about this before and I've never seen it. Bob was also an artist and it was like cowboys and there was what they used to call a dance hall girl. All this scene of like the old West, like you'd see in movies, but it was life-size. It was from the floor, from the ceiling to the floor. They were looking at it and they noticed something weird that every person in the bar was in the painting. Like uh, there were a couple of guys playing pool over here for real, but they were playing cards in the scene. And the quote dance hall girl was right over there. And they thought, all the artists used to come here. It's an homage, that kind of thing. So they continue on and they think, boy, this is a weird vibe. This place just feels funny. So some guy comes over to T.I. and wants to dance and smiles and he has a mouth full of rotten teeth. 
he is put on the, they have like a Woolitzer old bubbler jukebox. One of those real beautiful ones that plays actual records. And he's playing Chubby Checkers Let's Twist again. He asks T.I. to dance and smiles real wide with his rotten teeth. And T.I. holds up her cane, which she uses, and says, no, I don't dance much. And she said she's glad she had that. Kind of this strange feeling continued. Everybody was kind of blankly smiling and like, you know, just weird. So anyway, they start to look at this mural again. There's the double doors that like a cowboy comes through. You know, in the movies where he comes through and says, I want to see the sheriff, blah, blah, blah. I'm so-and-so. Those double doors. But they didn't notice something before that they noticed. Now, there's two misty columns in those doors. One's taller, one shorter. And they continue to talk, and they look back, and they look almost like a humanoid shape, these two things. And they talk some more, and they look back, and one is almost developed Polaroid style into a man, and another one into a woman. They talk some more, and they look back, and the female of the group has boots. T.I. has boots. The woman has curly hair. T.I. has curly hair. And then the figure they notice also has a cane. It's basically them developing into the picture. So, her and Bob decide, let's get out of Dodge, so to speak. So they leave. They say everything, when they stepped out of the door, went pitch black. And there weren't multiple cars in the lot. There was one car, their car. And everything was closed like it had been closed all evening long. And they leave. And they tell their friends and family at the camp. And everybody's like, oh, you know, he's imagining things and stuff. T.I.'s brave, a lot more brave than I am. She decides she's going to go back. So she goes back. I think it's with her sister or one of her friends. They go back like at 8 o'clock at night. So it's not like a, a situation where they're going back at 3 o'clock in the morning. They go in. The mural's still there, but there's nothing in the doors, in the swinging doors. It's just normal. She goes over to the jukebox, but it's kind of odd because it's not a Woolitzer bubbler jukebox with vinyl. It's for that day, a modern day jukebox with CDs. And Chubby Checkers Let's Twist Again isn't anywhere on it. So she walks up to the bar and she's talking to um, the bartender. It's a woman, younger woman. She said, oh, I was in here the other night. And there was this big, good looking, strapping kind of farm boy bartender. Where's he? She said, ma'am, only two people tend bar at this place. Me and my elderly father. And then they leave, T.I. leaves, and she's never been back since. Now, a little postscript to this. The place actually exists. Chad Lewis, who's a paranormal researcher and has written books on cryptids and so forth, I, lives in like the Wisconsin area. He's gone there and taken pictures of the mural. It exists. I actually put it up on my YouTube channel along with that interview with T.I. We went up to her home, interviewed her and put together about a 10-minute video on it. And the thing was, she came from a very respected position, very respected profession, seems just as, like, normal and straight-laced and just like anybody at the PTA meeting, you know? And I believe her. But what in the world, if that did in fact happen, what did she tap into? Was she in some kind of weird portal, alternate universe? What in the world was that? I don't really know. So I know it's a wild story, but that's probably my favorite campfire story of all time. Who? Yeah, that's really cool. Straight out of a Twilight Zone episode. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. 
Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. You know, I think the fact that the teller of the story can engage you so much that it adds to this, I think you use the word sincerity, you know, to hear sincerity in someone's voice when they're telling the story definitely helps for you to visualize it. And then you're left with that question at the end that you just asked, which is, well, what is it? Is it a portal? Is it something that we don't know exists, but for whatever reason, the two of them tapped into? Yeah. And I got to tell you, that's I mean, aside from that story, just in general, um, because I've been doing these podcasts because I start with the paranormal podcast, which I still do to this day. And as far as I know, no one has said differently. It is the longest running paranormal podcast on the Internet. In 2005, that's why I was able to get that name. There were a couple of people doing, I think. But in terms of stuff that's still running, I think that's the longest continuous. I, if I'm wrong, correct me by all means, somebody. But anyway, the thing that I've learned, people say, do you know what it is? Or if you've figured all this paranormal stuff out, because we cover everything, UFOs, ghosts, cryptids, all of it. But have you figured anything out? The only thing I'll say is I think the nature of reality is far stranger than, you know, I've got my mouse here or this pen. I mean, we see so much, but there's so much that we don't see. And there's a whole world that we don't understand. Could it be something scientific like the multiverse or whatever? I don't know. I don't know the answers. It's fun to ask the questions, but I definitely think if anything else, something is going on. I'm with you there. I do think there's something else around us here that uh, has not really been uncovered yet. That is a wild story, though. That that sounds almost like more like a time slip or something like that than, you know, a ghost. Um, But we have heard stories about a haunted painting before. And we actually spoke with the, yeah, the artist. I was just thinking that. The artist gets a lot of emails about this painting, and he tells anyone who emails him about it that if they look at it, they will die. Whoa. Whoa. But it's true if you think about it. I mean, if you look at any painting, you'll die. That's true eventually. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's like his joke. People will say, like, am I going to die after looking at this painting? And he's like, yes. (laughs) Without a doubt. 100% guaranteed. What do you think of that? Inanimate objects. But I guess... That's kind of doing it a disservice. So his name is Bill Stoneham. The painting is The Hands Resist Him. And it's up. considered in the top five like most haunted paintings that in existence. And I said inanimate object, but I think that's doing a disservice to that because it was created by somebody who put a lot of their own artistic uh, ability into it. You know, so it's got a lot of animation if we're talking like literally. But what do you think of that? I believe that. If you hold on to an object enough or have enough contact, I, I think some kind of energy can rub off. I'll give you an example on the other side. I have a pocket knife that belonged to my grandfather. And when I touch that pocket knife, I feel like, you know, I I feel something. Now, again, that could all be psychosomatic. It could be psychological. Uh, maybe it's just my thought process taking over. But it makes sense to me, like, if you have something you carry constantly or is very important to you, if it's something passing like this iPhone stand over here, I don't think that's going to be haunted. But maybe the phone could be if you carry it with you every day and it, like, 
saps up part of your energy. I don't think that's too incredible. In fact, I used to love to go uh, to like thrift shops and buy like old junk. You can look behind me. But the thing is, I do worry these days. I mean, I still do it occasionally, not as much as I used to because my wife will kill me. But because uh, she likes, she hates old stuff. She's like, ah, it's a bunch of old junk. But the thing is, is that I do think twice. I'm like, ooh, could I be bringing something into the house? You know, I do think about that now. You think, oh, I'm, you know, I'm intelligent and I'm smart and I'm not superstitious and things. But it's like Steve Carell said, just a little stitious. <laughs> right. Not superstitious, but just a little stitious. I do think about that when I get like uh, thrifting things and things like that because I think it's possible there can be haunted objects. We had stories on the campfire. We had one with a girl that had like a lamp with a flamenco dancer. And then all of a sudden she started seeing like a woman flamenco dancer at night, like stand over her bed and in, in a threatening way. And her parents said they would get rid of it. Well, they didn't really get rid of it. They just like put it outside somewhere and she continued to see it. And then finally she told them again and they really got rid of it, like off the premises. And then it stopped. And it turned out supposedly that that had been made by somebody in a prison who had a kind of shady background or something they supposedly found out. So, I mean, can people imbue, like, bad bad energy into something? Seems seems possible seems to possible. me. Seems yeah, possible. Yeah, I think the word energy is important in this uh, discussion, you know, uh, when something we, we don't fully understand, but it does seem like there's an energy to these things. One of the stories that I heard on your show, Campfire, was amazing and made me think about it in a different way. A woman who had a dream that she was on a bus that tipped over and uh, she said that she was sort of telepathically given a message during her dream to help the baby that was under the seat, and she did. And she woke up, and then she Googled this and found this bus that looked a lot like the one from her dream. She even thought that it would have been in a European country because the language that the woman, I guess, spoke at the or that she was hearing during her dream was not English. And she looked it up, and I think she saw it in Hungary, if I'm not mistaken, and then kind of wondered, like, did anyone during that experience and during that bus crash have a guardian angel that visited and helped bring that baby back to the mom or something like that? Obviously, it's kind of unanswerable. I don't know. It got me thinking about it in a different way. What if it's not a ghost? It's, yeah. you know, and, and she wondered if she was doing some astral projection, which I also find very fascinating. Like like during her dream, her spirit was actually there and her body was, you know, in bed. I, mean, I don't have any answers to that, but I, I thought that that was such a, an amazing story. Yeah. And I think that it speaks to something. I mean, you know, I don't know if you guys are big music fans, but something I've always heard a lot of songwriters say is like, you know, if somebody has like this huge hit, right? Something that like they're known for their whole life. And they'll say something like, you know, I sat down and wrote that on five minutes on the back of a napkin and I don't know where it came from. And I think that it's kind of like a Jungian thing, the collective unconscious. I think we all tap into like this energy field or something. That's why you can have, and there's this has been documented, you have two scientists, particularly in the pre-internet era when communications weren't that good. They would be working on exactly the same thing, making discoveries on exactly the same project halfway around the world, and one didn't know of the other. It's like they're tapping into something. And I think that there's something that we all tap into. 
And sometimes we're given messages. Sometimes we cross wires with other people across the world, kind of like what you're describing. I think that's a very real thing. And I don't think it's crazy to think that. I think that is absolutely a real thing. I love that you brought that up because that's been something that's fascinated me for a while. I think I read an article on it and I was just so curious about that. Somewhere along the lines, like you have hit someone else's, I picture it as like an electric current. And like you've hit that, they've hit yours, and you like sparked an idea completely separate right. from each other, but right. concurrently. Right. And you've created something very similar. And maybe maybe one goes a little further than the other, but I think that's such a fascinating concept. Yeah. Yeah. And it's real. And particularly, you know, now it's a little bit tough because of the internet and anything, because anybody can look up anything at any time. We're talking like 1900s. 1800s before that, people working on television. There were different people working on television exactly the same time, and one didn't know anything about the other one. It is amazing, and I think, to me, doing the shows, it's, it is about ghosts, it is about the spooky stuff, but it's also about a wider reality and, and things that, you know, you got to pay your mortgage, you got to go to your work every day, you got to take care of the kids if you've got them, you know, whatever. We've got a lot of men, mundane kind of, and not bad, I mean, taking care of your kids is pretty important, but you know what I'm saying, you got your stuff, you got your day-to-day -day stuff. And we don't really get to think about these bigger questions. And I hope that the shows, along with giving people a little bit of a fright, and we do plenty of that, they also hopefully think about some of those bigger questions. Yeah, good. I hope so. Jim, it, it would be a drop ball on my part if we were here speaking with you and I didn't bring up Mothman. Oh, for <laughs> every time with the Mothman. I love Mothman, Jim. What about you? Well, I think it's interesting, and I'm really, because that's in coordination with that Silver Bridge collapse in the late 1960s in West Virginia and the Mothman Prophecies. I actually know the guy who wrote the script for the Mothman Prophecies movie, Richard Haddam. Yeah, very interesting guy. Don't tell Tim that. Tim will hound you for his <laughs> contact info now. Richard Haddam, he's a great guy. The point is, I think that, you know, it's interesting, the harbinger of doom. We've had stories about that. And that the thought that Mothman was a harbinger of doom. And actually, my parents had their own like UFO experience in another part of West Virginia a few years later in the early 70s. And then there's the Chicago Mothman sightings. I don't know if you're familiar with those. Oh, yeah. And that's more recent. We've had people call in. We had a, a, a person who called in and said that they were working at a club. It was like... Uh, the middle of the night, they were driving home, and they looked up, and on a building, they saw basically a Mothman uh, in the Chicagoland area at the time that this was happening. So, again, would I say impossible? No, not at all. Yeah, well, we appreciate it, Jim. We appreciate you uh, bringing these stories to our ears and the ears of the public and really just trying to expand people's minds. And I think it's it's got a whole lot of value. So thank you for, uh, for doing what you do. Well, thank you. And I appreciate it very much. I hope everybody gets to check out the shows. I Usually we have a lot of different shows, including even a true crime show. But I really recommend, if you're interested in this stuff, really the starting point are all the free episodes of Jim Harold's Campfire. And you can find that at jimherald.com or wherever podcasts are found. And thank you, guys. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, this was a lot of fun. What's your true crime show? Jim Harold's Crime Scene, and we're actually almost at 200 episodes. As I told you guys before, I started it in 2011 before Serial, but I put it behind my Plus Club paywall, which was a massive mistake. 
And then we did it for a few years, stopped, and then I really felt inspired because I love I love talking about the paranormal, but it's nice to do something a little bit different. So relaunched the crime scene in January of this year, and we're approaching 200 episodes total. Well, congratulations on that. And Thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining us and taking the time to do this. And to reemphasize what you do with Campfire is storytelling, and I don't want to overlook the fact that how important that is. We've been telling stories since caveman drawings on walls. Yep. And it's been so important to continue that. And when you think about like the stories that are told around a campfire and how you tell those to somebody else and they tell those to somebody else and maybe they add a little bit here and there, it's really the stuff of a rich life. Yeah, the oral tradition is very important and we love to do our little part on the campfire to keep it going. And thanks again, guys. Thank you.